contract news, record breakers, and a home Grand Prix for the Tifosi. This week I'm talking all about the Italian Grand Prix. So get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello everyone and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Syra, and this week we are talking all about the Italian Grand Prix as we headed to Ferrari's home race at Monza. And you know what? We talk a lot about this being Ferrari's home race, but I think we sometimes forget that this is also Alfa Tauri's home race as well. But I think it's just because we see so much red in the grandstands at Monza coming out in support of Ferrari that, yeah, I think Alfa Tauri does get overlooked. Now, it was a pretty eventful weekend before we even got to Friday and the cars got on track. So let's go over some of the pre-weekend news. Now, I think the biggest news that came out of this weekend was the fact that Lewis Hamilton has signed a contract with Mercedes to extend his stay with the team. Lewis has signed a two-year contract with the team, so he will be staying with them until 2025 as his current contract runs out at the end of this year. There was a lot of speculation in the run-up to Lewis signing his contract from media outlets, journalists, podcasts. Everyone was wondering what the hold-up was. We had a lot of chat from Toto Wolf and Lewis saying, look, yeah, it's just a formality, it'll get signed, it's no rush. But it just seemed to be taking a little while for it to get signed. And then there were rumours floating around about him maybe going to Ferrari, maybe returning to McLaren, maybe finding another team, maybe leaving the sport. Now, it wasn't something I was necessarily worried about. We had the same thing happen in 2020, and I don't think he signed that contract until the winter break. So for me, I didn't really think, one, that Lewis would be leaving the sport and retiring, or that two, Mercedes weren't going to want to sign him again, or three, that Lewis wouldn't want to stay with Mercedes. So super good news for Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton fans. We get to see him on track for another two years. I personally am so, so happy about this. And along with that news, Mercedes also announced that George Russell had signed a contract extension to also stay with the team until 2025. Now, I think his contract technically lasts until 2024, but I think it had the year extension that they could trigger at any time. I think Mercedes knew that they were going to be keeping George on for that extra year in his contract at the bare minimum, so it made sense to sign him the same time as Lewis. No point in keeping that speculation going for another year. So Mercedes have officially locked in their driver lineup, not just for 2024, but also 2025. So hopefully now this is them just wanting to get their heads down, knowing who their drivers are and just focusing on the car now. But at least we won't have to hear about any more Mercedes rumours, Lewis Hamilton rumours for the next two seasons. We also had Mike Crack coming out and saying that Lance Stroll would be staying with the team until next year as well. So their driver lineup is locked in for 2024. Was just keen to get that out of the way with before other rumours started circulating. I think now that the Lewis stuff has been settled, people would start focusing on other drivers and driver contracts. So he has settled that. We've got Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll with Aston Martin in 2024 as well. And then we had some interesting images and news coming out from the Italian Grand Prix. And that was the fact that Matteo Bonotto was seen entering the paddock on Thursday, which was media day, which I wouldn't really think much of. He's been to a couple of Grand Prix now. I think both Stefano Domenicali and Pirelli have invited him. So I wouldn't really think much of him being there. What was the interesting thing, though, was the fact that the Netflix camera crew 
were following him. The DTS camera crew were following him as he was coming into the paddock and I don't think they would be following Matthew Bonotto unless there was a story they were covering that they knew about that the wider public has yet to know about. So logically, I think everyone is thinking that this is about the possible move of Matthew Bonotto going to Alpine to become their team principal in 2024. Alpine obviously lost Otmar Safnauer just before summer break where they parted ways. So they are currently with an interim team principal. And the rumours as soon as the news was announced in Spa was that Matti Bonotto would be taking over that role or that Alpine have at least approached him. And I've got to be honest, considering he was seen coming into the paddock with the DTS Netflix camera crew, I'm going to say that, yeah, it's probably very, very likely. He is on 12 months gardening leave from Ferrari, which means that he can't actually do any Formula One job yet. I'm sure Alpine would have loved to have had him in straight away, but yeah, it will probably be in January 2024 where he can officially take up the post. But I am expecting Alpine to make an announcement about a team principal at the very least before then. I do think it's going to be Mattia Bonotto. We have got a week off now before we go to Singapore. And I know a couple of media outlets are speculating that we will get the announcement about Mattia Bonotto and Alpine during September. So like I said, we've got a week break now between the Italian Grand Prix and the Singapore GP. So we might hear something or Alpine might wait until Singapore or Japan where the media is with them, they're on a racetrack to make their announcement and also have Matty Bonotto there at the track. It is a lot of speculation about his role with Alpine right now, but I've got to be honest with you guys, it seems fairly realistic to me. When Matty Bonotto left Ferrari, I genuinely didn't think this would be the end of him and Formula One. He's worked with Ferrari for years as an engineer. I genuinely think he does adore the sport so, so much. I don't think he was going to want to leave completely whether he was working with the FIA, with Pirelli, with Formula 1 itself, or found another team. I think it was inevitable that he was going to come back after his gardening leave. And there is the opportunity now to join Alpine and to hopefully do some good there and bring that team back up to the top. But we will wait and see. I think Singapore GP is when we're going to be expecting that news though. And those, I think, were the main points of from the pre-race weekend news. Obviously, we still don't have Daniel Ricciardo back with us. He had his surgery on the weekend of the Dutch Grand Prix. Things seem to be going well, but he obviously needs that time to rest and recover. So we do still have Liam Lawson with us in the Formula One paddock. Looking at all of our practice sessions, though, at the Italian Grand Prix, FP1, we had another rookie test with Felipe Dragovic taking the wheel of Lance Stroll's car as Aston Martin got their rookie tests out of the way with. Alfa Romeo were just having a nightmare throughout their practice sessions. They had a new livery on their car, new race suits, drivers had new helmets. It was kind of a home race for them as well. Their last one together was Sauber, so they were trying to celebrate that. But in FP1, both drivers were really struggling. There were issues when they were pulling up the clutch that the car was going into anti-stall, issues with the rear not feeling quite right, the car was bottoming out. Both drivers saying that the car was just undrivable at different points during practice, so it wasn't a smooth ride for them in FP1. They were just having some struggles. The other driver that just seemed to be having problems during free practice, especially on the Friday, more than free practice three on the Saturday, was Lance Stroll. Now, he obviously, like I said, didn't have any running during FP1 because Felipe Drogovic was in his car. 
came into FP2, was obviously hoping to get in the car, get some good laps in, get a fair amount of data out of it. And he ended up causing a red flag about five minutes into the session. It looked like there was some kind of hydraulics issue there for him. Lance Stroll has just had some absolutely awful luck when it's come to free practice lately. If you guys remember back out in Zandvoort, he ended up not being able to run at all during FP1 because he had an engine issue that needed to be fixed. So he just lost a lot of lap time and just a lot of time on circuit during the Italian Grand Prix race weekend. No running at all on the Friday. Saturday was a little bit better for him. I think he got about 31 laps in, which is over half race distance. And I think that was just to try and make up for everything that he had missed on Friday and just get a good feel for the track and for the car. Checo Perez is also just not having the best time of it in practice on a race weekend. His race weekends on a whole are getting better, but he ended up causing a yellow flag that turned into a red flag with about 10 minutes left on the clock during FP2. His tyres seemed to have dipped into the gravel, he spun and went into a barrier. The issues then continued on in FP3. He managed to go out for some running and then they found out that there was a fuel leak on the car so he didn't get the full running in FP3 because he needed to fix that in time for quality. So he just had a little bit of bad luck during the practice sessions. But even with that crash, Chaco Perez apparently said that this was actually a really good Friday for him. So whether that was just because of the feeling that he had in the car, who knows? I'm going to assume that was the case for him, though, because he did manage to beat Max's lap time in one of the free practice sessions. Going into quality then, uh, Sergio Perez did end up having his power unit changed after that leak. It was one from his pool, though, so there was no penalty for him. I think they just wanted to be safe, and I don't know whether they thought they'd be able to fix the issue with his engine in time. Q1, we just had so many lap time deletions, though. Max Verstappen was the first one. He had his very first fast lap deleted. We also had Alonso having one deleted. Lance Stroll, Oscar Piastri had one right towards the end end of qualifying which meant that he was going to have one lap to sort of get out of the elimination zone we had Esteban Ocon having a moment scraping through the gravel which wasn't great and he did have to ask the team just to have a look at the sensors on his floor to make sure there were no issues there was a moment between Lando and Esteban Ocon as well where it looked like Esteban had impeded him so it was a little bit of a mess what we did end up getting was Guan Yu, Pierre Gasly, Esteban Ocon, Kevin Magnussen and Lance Stroll all eliminated. I don't really know what happened with Lance Stroll during his laps in Q1. Even though he didn't have the most amount of lap time on track compared to some of the other drivers, I don't think it was enough to really put him into dead last out of all of the drivers. So I don't know whether he was just having some issues. Traffic was a huge, huge issue in Monza. I feel like it's been a huge issue during qualifying for a couple of races now, but the drivers are leaving it so late to go out. They're all trying to get there right at the last minute to cross the flag, cross the line, and it is causing a massive backlog of drivers. I think the biggest surprise in Q1 for me was the fact that both Alpines were eliminated. What they did end up saying afterwards, though, and what the team ended up saying was that they had power unit issues as a whole. They knew coming into Monza this was going to be one of their weakest tracks. The Renault engine just wasn't going to give them the power that they needed to be able to do well at Monza, which 
don't get me wrong, I really do understand, right? Because it's really hard to build a car or an engine that's suitable for every single track. It's very hard for a team to do. And I think the only team that's really fully managed that this year is Red Bull. And even then, they wouldn't say that every track is absolutely strong for them. And it's all performing at the same level, regardless of what track they go to. I think they've just got such a big margin on the rest of their competitors that you can't really tell as much. So I do get it that, yeah, maybe the engine just wasn't suited for Monza. But the fluctuations they're having from track to track is insane to me. Zambrut, they came away with P3 and Esteban Ocon in the points. And you're telling me we come to Monza and you can't get either of your cars out of Q1. That just seems crazy. I don't think there are teams fluctuating the way that Alpine are right now. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Inconsistency and Alpine is just mental. It goes hand in hand. It's the tail of their season right now. So that is a little bit worrying from Alpine to have neither car get out of Q1. It's just crazy. Q2, I think, was fairly tame. I don't think we were seeing as many track limit violations. I think the drivers are just getting a better feel for the track when they were doing their quality laps at this point. We had Logan Sargent, Valtteri Bottas, Nico Hulkenberg, Liam Lawson and Yuki Tsunoda all out in Q2. It was a better showing from AlphaTauri, though, to have both of their drivers, P11 and P12, they'd gotten comfortably into Q2, I think was a really good show from them. Especially Liam Lawson, when this is only his second race in Formula 1. A very, very good driving quality for him. But things to note at the end of this Q2 was the fact that someone had found out that Alex Albon has not managed to be outqualified by a teammate since Silverstone 2022. And that was 25 race weekends ago. Insane stat to me. Alex Albon is just performing at such an amazing level right now. He should be so, so happy and proud of the progress that he's made over the past season or so that he's been back in Formula One. And yeah, I thought that was just a really cool stat to know. And the second thing, Lewis Hamilton getting into Q3 at the Italian Grand Prix made him the first ever driver to record 300 Q3 appearances in Formula One. Now, I think he's on race start 326, maybe. It's a number around there. And the fact that he has made 300 Q3 appearances in that time, once again, like the Alex Albon stat, just absolutely insane to me. His level of consistency over all the years he's been in F1 is just astounding. And just both of those drivers, absolutely incredible achievements. In Q3, though, we had something that was going to put a smile on the Tafosi's face for a very long time, I think, as Ferrari managed to take pole position with Carlos Sainz. Absolutely phenomenal qualifying from him. He had done so well over the weekend during free practices as well. Showed really, really good pace with the car. Was the lead Ferrari driver this weekend. And just pulled it out of the bag when it came to qualifying. And I think sometimes, especially in a home Grand Prix, when you're a Ferrari driver at their home Grand Prix, it can get a little bit scary. The pressure can get a lot, but he just coped so, so well for it. And it was also his birthday over the weekend. So happy birthday to him. It's his fourth career pole. And to do it at Monza 
in front of the Italian fans when you're driving for Ferrari must have been an absolutely incredible feeling. Charles Leclerc ended up coming in P3, Max Verstappen in P2. So a 1-3 for Ferrari at their home Grand Prix, I think, is absolutely amazing. They have been struggling a little bit this season. I really wasn't sure how they were going to fare in quali. I think everyone was hoping that they would do out their home race, and in quali at least, they had delivered. Lewis Hamilton struggled a little bit more in Q3 on the soft tyres, having only made it into eighth place. And the other driver that I was... A little bit surprised about with his pace was Fernando Alonso. He seemed to be having a couple of troubles with his car. Ended up in P10, which is still great, don't get me wrong. Q3 is wonderful, but we've seen that Aston Martin qualify higher. It just wasn't able to do it at the Italian Grand Prix during quali. Alex Albano was starting the race in P6, so not his highest position of the season so far, but he was wedged between Checo Perez and Oscar Piastri who are both definitely in cars that are better than the Williams. Yeah, a really, really good Q3 outing from Alex Albon. Getting to the race day, though, the start was not without its drama, was it? Yuki Tsunoda ended up having an engine failure while he was on his formation lap with smoke coming out of the car and had to pull up on the side of the track in the grass and couldn't even start the race. In his three Italian Grand Prix starts, Yuki Tsunoda has not managed to start two of them and was P14 in the one that he did manage to finish. It was gutting. I genuinely, genuinely thought AlphaTauri was going to have some good pace at the Italian Grand Prix. I thought they were going to do well here. I thought Yuki Tsunoda would manage to get into the points. I was excited to see it, guys. And he also had this beautiful helmet for AlphaTauri's home Grand Prix. It looked absolutely stunning. And yet, he didn't even manage to start the race. It did cause a little bit of a delay to the race start. They had to get the truck out to get Yuki Tsunoda's car off of the track. And then apparently, I think the start lights weren't working properly. That caused a little bit more of a delay. So we had all the engineers and mechanics run out onto the grid to look after the cars again, get them cooled down, get the tyre blankets back on. And we had another formation lap to start the race. And we didn't actually start until 2.20, 20 minutes after we were meant to start. But when the race did start, I was actually surprised at how well Carlos Sainz managed to hold off Max Verstappen. They were both on medium tyres, so it wasn't like Carlos Sainz had a tyre advantage over Max Verstappen, but he was able to keep a fairly good gap. It was under a second, but managed to defend very well to keep Max Verstappen behind him. It wasn't going to last, so I'm sure so many of the Tifosi at Monza and watching at home were hoping that he would be able to hold back Max Verstappen for a little bit longer. But Carlos Sainz just wasn't able to do it. His rear wheels were falling off a little bit. Tire dead with the Ferrari still isn't great or definitely not as good as what the Red Bulls is. And Max Verstappen was eventually able to get past him. But like I said, I think I was just surprised at how long Carl Sainz managed to hold back Max for. By lap 15, Fernando Alonso was around three seconds off the pace of Lewis Hamilton. He had dropped a place early on in the race, fallen behind Nico Hülkenberg, regained the place, but was still three seconds off. Now, we have seen the Aston Martin race pace be quite strong. 
we've seen it be able to match and do better than the Mercedes, but this just seemed like a track that was not going to be a strength for Aston Martin. It was a car that was struggling. And to be fair, it was a fairly... I wouldn't say completely chilled out race. It's not like we had no action whatsoever, but we had the same sort of battles happening on track. So we saw a lot of Russell and Perez earlier on in the race. We saw a lot of Max and Carlos Sainz. We saw battles going on between Lewis Hamilton and the McLarens. So it was the same sort of battles that we were seeing on track. And a lot of the time, it wasn't even like we were seeing a mass amount of back and forth between these cars. We weren't seeing one car get ahead in one DRS zone and then fighting back. It was just one car trying to get closer, looking like it could, not being able to make the move sort of thing. Lap 42, though, we saw Oscar Piastri and Lewis Hamilton have some contact. Lewis admitted himself he didn't leave enough space and Oscar was in a blind spot and hadn't realised he was there, but it was quite significant contact. Oscar Piastri ended up having a damaged front wing and it did look quite bad and he had to go into the pits for a new rear wing. There was no way he was going to be able to carry on racing with that. And as a result, Lewis Hamilton got a five-second time penalty for it, which was gutting for him, but he had caused the collision there. And he was very open about the fact that he had caused it on his radio with Bono. And I think after the race as well, he had gone up to Oscar, I think, just to apologise about that contact that was made. Up until then, though, I think Oscar was doing very, very well, was running quite a good race and definitely would have ended up somewhere in the points. But obviously that late pit stop and the additional time needed to put a new front wing in just completely knocked him out of the points. Around that time, though, we found out that Esteban Ocon had retired from the race. Now, we didn't see anything happen. We didn't hear about any contact. We didn't hear any radios from him. We didn't actually see him retire, I don't think. We had seen Oscar go into the pits to get his rear wing or front wing sorted. And then suddenly, I think Ted Kravitz just told us, oh, yeah, well, Esteban Ocon has also retired from the race. And I looked at the timing sheet and yeah, he had retired. And at the point of recording this, we still don't know why. Alpine, when they posted their race results, had noted that, yes, Esteban Ocon had DNF'd, but hadn't said why, which is a little bit strange because normally when a car does DNF, a team will say in their race results, oh, yeah, had to DNF after contact with so-and-so. Well, yeah, you know, engine failure meant that he wasn't able to finish the race. But they didn't say anything with Esteban Ocon. I wonder whether it was an engine issue or whether something was overheating with the brakes, potentially. But yeah, a bit of a strange one and a gutting one, although I don't think that Alpine would have made it into the points anyway. We also found out that Logan Sargent got a five-second time penalty for causing a collision with Valtteri Bottas, but we never saw that. So, yep, that was a thing. We had near contact between the Ferraris towards the end of the race with Carlos and Charles. Charles ended up locking up, and I was worried he was going to end up taking up both the Ferraris, but thankfully they did manage to actually finish the race. I don't know if it was just me, but... TV direction felt a little bit weird today. We didn't get to see the incident between Logan Sargent and Valtteri Bottas. I don't even think they showed us a replay of that. We didn't really get to see the back of the field at all. I think the only time we really saw them was when Kevin Magnussen was in the background or in between 
Max Verstappen, Sergio Perez, Carlos Sainz, Charles Leclerc, and that was because he was a lapped car. It almost felt like we were just missing certain parts of the race. So there were certain drivers I just didn't see at all during the race. Didn't see much of Valtteri Bottas, didn't see a whole load of Liam Lawson, Pierre Gasly, the Haases. I don't know whether it was just because it was a quieter race in the background, whether there just weren't many overtakes going on back there either. But yeah, I just felt like I was missing certain parts of the race. Maybe it was also because, yeah, we had a good couple of battles where a lot of time was spent looking at George and Sergio Perez, Carlos, Charles, Perez, Verstappen. But definitely just felt to me like we were missing certain parts of the story from this race. Regardless of all of that, though, Max Verstappen did win the Italian Grand Prix and he took home his 10th consecutive win and is now the sole holder for the record of the most consecutive wins. So a huge, huge congratulations to him and to Red Bull for the effort they put into that car, his mechanics, his engineers and his side of the garage for making sure that his car was ready and fighting fit so he could get into it and extract all he could from it to get those 10 consecutive wins. So a history-making moment for him today. Sergio Perez took home P2, so that is another podium for him. He seems to be slowly getting back into form. I think for Red Bull, they're probably going to be hoping they're just not going to see as many crashes from him during practice sessions because obviously it does cost the team money and in a cost cap era, they're probably going to want to be a little bit careful of how much they're spending in repairs. But in terms of the race, it seems to be getting a little bit better for him. I think, and I've said this before, for him now, it's trying to close that gap with Max. This massive margin of time between him and Max Verstappen, I think, is going to be the biggest thing for him because he is seemingly getting his racing form back, which is great to see. But take today, for example, he was in quite a big battle with the Ferraris and with George Russell for a lot of the race. Wasn't able to catch up with Max, even when he managed to get P2. So I think that's going to be where his focus probably lies for the next half of the season and for next season. We did manage to get a Ferrari on the podium, though, with Carlos Sainz taking P3, and I'm sure that warmed the hearts of the Tifosi, who were just glad to see a red car up there. I'm sure they would have preferred him to be in first place, and I'm sure they would have loved to have seen Charles Leclerc beside him, but still a P3 for Ferrari in their home race, when it has been a struggle for them this season, is nothing to luck your nose up at, and congratulations to Carlos Sainz for that. It was just a bad day for the Alpines, though, I have to be honest. A retirement from Esteban Ocon, Gasly getting no points and ending in P16, so he wasn't even close to the points either. What do you even say with Alpine? I don't know anymore, guys. It's been difficult for them. It's epic, epic highs of a podium followed by really bad lows of a DNF and then no points. It's hard to predict what they're going to do next, but this is not the season that they want. Let's be honest here. It's not the season that the drivers want. This has got to be the third or fourth DNF for Esteban Ocon this season. It might be more than that, actually. No points coming away from this. McLaren continue to move further and further away from Alpine in the Constructors' Championship. In complete honesty, I don't think they're going to be catching up with McLaren anymore. I think they are just going to be wanting to hold on to P5 in the Constructors. 
which I think is pretty reasonable for them, to be honest with you. When they have a good race, they have a very good race and can get some really good points home. But obviously a bad race for them is usually an absolutely awful race for them. Today is a case in point. Both of our Mercedes drivers ended up having five-second time penalties. So I mentioned Lewis Hamilton's because he had that contact with Oscar Piastri. George Russell had had a five-second time penalty earlier in the race, so for leaving the track and gaining an advantage, and it was such a stupid penalty as well. He had come off the track, had overtaken Esteban Ocon off track, and then had driven quite far away. The team said that they hadn't actually seen on the data that he had come off track to gain that advantage, otherwise they would have spoken to him about it, but got a five-second time penalty because of that. Esteban Ocon hadn't even pitted yet. That was why it was such a stupid penalty to have. He didn't really need to be racing Esteban Ocon anyway. But yes, him and Lewis ended up having five-second time penalties together. I love that. They signed their contracts until 2025 together and then thought, you know what? In solidarity, we will both get five-second time penalties. It didn't end up mattering for either of them anyway. George had about a 22-second gap to Lewis behind him. And then I think Lewis had about a seven-second gap between him and Alex Albon by the end of the race. So it didn't cost them anything in the end. But for Lewis, yeah, definitely a silly mistake. And not one that he tends to make very frequently. So not the best, but I'm sure he's glad he managed to pull out that over five-second gap to Alex Albon. Same with George Russell's silly, silly mistake of just overtaking off track and then not thinking about giving that place back. Nothing malicious from either of them. Honestly, I don't think either of them were trying to do anything on purpose. But yeah, silly, silly mistakes were made. A silly mistake for Lewis Hamilton, but just awful, awful luck for Oscar Piastri here with that collision. Like I mentioned, he probably could have gotten easily in the points. He would have easily been in the points this race gotten a couple of more points home from McLaren but it just wasn't meant to be for him he fell back quite far in the pack and just wasn't able to get back up into the points after that pit stop maybe with a couple of more laps he could have done it but it just wasn't meant to be What that did mean, though, was that Alfa Romeo were able to benefit from that late pit stop and long pit stop from Oscar Piastri, and Valtteri Bottas managed to get into the points. Now, it's been a little while, I think, since either Alfa Romeo has ended up in the points, since they've been able to add anything onto their points tally, so that sole point in P10, I am sure, is welcome from the team. I gotta be honest with you, after the mess they had in FP1, I thought it was going to be a struggle of a race for them. But it seemed to be okay. Once again, I really wish I could have seen what that contact was between Bottas and Sargent. I really want to know what happened there. Didn't seem to hamper Valtteri Bottas too much though. And yep, he's got a point to add to his tally and Alfa Romeo's tally in the Constructors' Championship. Looking at the Drivers' Championship after this race though, we have legitimately no movement on that board. Nobody has changed a place in the Drivers' Championship. What we can see, though, is that Lewis Hamilton has started to close that gap between himself and Fernando Alonso again, with six points between the two of them. Now, that gap is still bigger than it was a pre-summer break. There was only a point between them then. 
Dutch Grand Prix happened and it opened back up when Fernando Alonso finished ahead of Lewis Hamilton, but Lewis has managed to close it a little bit more after this race. Will be very interesting to see though when we head up to Singapore which car actually suits that track better, whether it's the Mercedes or the Aston Martin. And then see who can manage to finish ahead, whether Fernando Alonso manages to build up that gap between himself and Lewis Hamilton again, or whether Lewis manages to close it, or potentially even overtake him. Alex Albon has also closed the gap to the two drivers that are ahead of him in the championship. They are Oscar Piastri and Esteban Ocon, who are in 11th and 12th place with the same amount of points. Alex Albon's only 15 points behind them now, which when you compare the McLaren to the Williams, is a very incredible amount of points to be behind. I would love to see him potentially get ahead of the both of them. The McLaren of Oscar Piastri might be a little bit harder to get ahead of because I think Oscar will start pulling ahead of Esteban Ocon over the next couple of races now. But I think there is the potential that Alex Albon could get ahead of Esteban Ocon by the end of the season. Looking at the Constructors' Championship now with the teams, we only had one movement, and that was Ferrari going ahead of Aston Martin to get into P3. Ferrari took an incredible 27 points home after the Italian Grand Prix, and Aston Martin only managed to get two with Fernando Alonso. So they now have an 11-point lead ahead of Aston Martin, which is a massive point swing to not only leapfrog them to get to P3, but to also have an 11-point lead. I think that's going to be a very interesting battle between the two of those teams right now for P3. I know Mercedes can sometimes struggle on certain tracks and they don't perform as well as they do on other ones like Zandvoort, like Hungary, but I think as long as they don't get any weird reliability issues or DNFs, that they should be able to secure P2 in the Constructors' Championship. So I think it's P3 that's going to be the real spot in that top three right now in the Constructors to really keep an eye on. Williams are pulling ahead of Haas right now with 21 points to 11. When we had finished for summer break, they were on equal points. So Williams are really managing just to steam ahead and make sure that they can secure seventh in the constructors. They definitely have the better race car compared to Haas. That's very, very clear to see. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out. And I think Alfa Romeo at the moment are only a single point behind Haas. So that'll be a very interesting battle towards the bottom of the table. For your driver of the day, you chose Carlos Sainz. And I have to agree with you. I think he had such a phenomenal race. He had a phenomenal weekend. Did so, so well in practice sessions. Took pole position in quality. And defended and attacked so well during the race. It wasn't an easy job for him to get P3. But he did so incredibly well with his car. Got a podium in Ferrari's home Grand Prix. Has so much to be proud of heading back home for a week of rest now. So yeah, I completely agree with you guys. Carlos Sainz is my driver of the day and my driver of the weekend. And that is it for the European leg of Formula 1. The European season is done now and we have a week off. We have a single week break and then we are heading out to Singapore and Singapore is one of, if not my favourite track on the calendar. I love this track so much that it is on the cover of this podcast. This night race just hits differently for me. 
I know we have a couple of night races now, but Singapore feels like the true night race that just hits my soul in a different way. So I am so, so excited to head out there. But we are going to have to wait a week for that to happen. What you will not have to wait an extra week for, though, is my podcast. I am not taking a week break. I will be back here next Tuesday at 9am for another episode. So make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you get an update when the next episode comes out. Thank you guys so, so much for listening. And do you all come far? Make sure you follow me on Instagram and TikTok at stewards underscore office. And I will see you guys the next time you are summoned to the steward's office.